out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole. I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody, but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Really? Now, I understand the poem. It was written by a guy who was going through very difficult times, including having his leg amputated below the knee. But sometimes I think we read too much into that captain of my own soul thing. But I have noticed that when things are going well, when we soar past a goal or get a promotion or receive a bonus, we have a tendency to credit our own awesomeness for that our acumen, our skills. We are the masters of our fate. We are the captains of our souls. But then when things get tough, when we fail, when bad things happen, we get all angsty and existential. How can there be a good God when bad things like this happen? Wait, your personal amazingness is responsible for all the good things that happen to you. But if it's bad, that's all on God. Interessante. I think we ultimately know that we really aren't in control, and yet often we live like we are. And first off, God bless you for showing up for a sermon that's supposed to be about money. It's really not. Money is easy. You're either generous or you're not. You're either concerned with making sure you have everything you want or you care about other people around you who might not have everything you do. That's sort of the way it is, and I can't change you. Jesus can, but most people don't let him, and so they miss out on tremendous blessing and significance. That's the sum total of the money sermon. Thanks for coming. But actually, there's more to say. Because what we're really going to talk about is whether you view yourself as being in control, the master of your fate, the captain of your soul, the owner of everything you have, money, skills, talents, family, or if you view that what you have is something that has been given to you from God, that you hold in trust and that you have to steward. And that is what we're gonna look at in Matthew chapter 25 today, beginning at verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, 
you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So context, for a couple of chapters now, Jesus has been talking primarily about end times, essentially when he returns. Jesus is setting his followers up for the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, and Jesus's disappearance from among them, and is telling them that ultimately he's gonna return again at some point in the future. And now he's telling them what they need to do with that in between time. Nobody knows the time and the place, but you need to be prepared for when it happens. Uh, a number of years ago, Megan and I were both at home and Megan got a phone call and she picks up the phone. She's like, hi, how are you? And all of a sudden her entire voice and countenance changed and her eyes got really, really big. And she said, okay, great, bye-bye. And she got the, the phone and she goes, oh my gosh, that was my cousin. They're at the airport, they'll be here in 45 minutes. I thought they were coming next week. So we had 45 minutes to clean up the house, to change the bed, to put fresh towels in the bathroom. We thought they were coming next week. We completely were unprepared. And that's kind of what this whole story is about, of being ready so if your cousin shows up a week early, you are prepared for it. We, just, we keep thinking, dear God, what if she hadn't called? What if she just showed up at the door? But that actually is kind of what the point of the parable is. What if all of a sudden Jesus shows up? That's really at the heart of what we're talking about. Verse 14 begins with again. And that refers to the parable that starts in verse 1. At that time, when Jesus comes back, the kingdom of God will be like, and he goes on to tell a story. And it's a story about being prepared for when Jesus returns. And now he's going to tell another story. What is this story about? Money? Yes and no. Money's neutral. What you do with money is not neutral. How you view money is certainly not neutral. So on the one hand, it is about money, but it's also about so much more. There are four characters in this story. The master, the one who owns everything, a servant who receives five talents or bags of gold, a servant who received two talents or bags of gold, and a servant who received one talent or bags of gold. So let's look at the characters. The first is the master, the one who owns everything. So in every parable Jesus tells, you kind of have to figure out where to put yourself in the story. Which character represents you? 
Well, in this parable, there are several people that you can be, but the master is not one of them. You are not the master in the parable. And if you think you are, you're kind of illustrating the point of the parable. So you'll be put someplace else in this parable. You're not the master. So the master owns everything and he's going away on a long journey. And he has business interests, which can't be left alone. And so he entrusts his business interests to his servants and he leaves them in charge of his business while he's gone. It's like he says to them, I'm gonna trust these important things to you. And when I come back, I will return, I will expect a return on investment, an ROI. So take care of it, steward it well. That's the first character. Then there are the three servants. One of them gets five bags of gold, one of them gets two bags of gold, and one of them receives one bag of gold. Three separate people, three separate amounts. And then the plot. The master leaves and the servants don't know when he's gonna return again because the main point of the parable is about what we're supposed to be doing while Jesus is away. The master's gone, servants know he's coming back, but they don't know when. And so the servant who got the five bags of gold says at once he puts it to work and he doubles the investment. He had five, it ends up being 10 in a very short amount of time apparently. We don't know how, and it's not particularly important to the story, it's just that he immediately went out and doubled the investment. The servant who got two bags of gold, same, at once, just like that, he goes out and he puts those two bags of gold to work and he doubles the investment, great ROI. We don't know how, it's not important, he just did. And then there's the servant who gets one bag of gold and very different language is used of him. He goes off, dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. You, you get this feeling that he's not in any particular rush. The other two, at once they do this thing and this guy, he kind of wanders off and then he digs a hole in the ground and he buries the gift. He doesn't do anything productive with it, he just buries it. And the master returns and asks his servant what they've done with what he entrusted to them. And so the servant with five comes back and says, master, I took your five bags of gold and I doubled it. I've got 10. And the master goes, that's great. And then the next servant, the one who got two, comes and he says, master, I doubled your investment. You gave me two, here's four back. And the master does the same exact thing. That's great because it's not about the amount. It's about how faithful they were to use the amount that was entrusted to them, to see what ROI they provided with the talents that they had. The one with two talents wasn't expected to produce what the one with five talents did. He was expected to produce with what he had. But interestingly enough, it wouldn't have worked the other way around. If the one with five talents had produced only what the one with two talents had, he wouldn't have heard the same affirmation because it would have shown that he was slacking. He had more that he could have used and he didn't. So that's a very important distinction. Then there's the one with the one bag of gold or talent. He says, I buried it. And the master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. At the very least, you could have put it in the bank and I could have been earning, what, 
0.04% interest on it, but that would have been better than just having it buried in your backyard. And he's so disappointed with him. And he uses really, really crazy language that we don't associate with Jesus or God. You wicked, lazy servant. And then down to verse 30, throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing in teeth. You buried the money. The master's like, you didn't even try. And instead of coming back and owning it, he basically blames the master. Well, my, my lack of productivity was because I knew that you were harsh. And obviously this doesn't fly. The master's like, you didn't do anything at all. And isn't that an interesting response? You wicked, lazy servant, throw him out. It's not what we associate with Jesus. Oh, oh, there's grace. Absolutely. Of course there's forgiveness. But what we can't miss is there's also accountability. Things have been entrusted to us and we'll be held accountable for what we have. It's like if you're a supervisor or you own your company or what have you, it's like when you have an underperforming employee that you really like. It's like you're a great person, but you can't work here anymore because you're not producing much of a return. We're nice people, but this is a business. There's that accountability there. Grace, forgiveness, but also accountability. And think about the two different responses. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your reward versus throw that worthless servant out. Which would you rather hear? Now, that throwing that worthless servant out into outer darkness, is that literal? I don't know. But the point of the parable is to teach us something. The point of the parable is to give us a warning about what we're supposed to be doing so that we aren't caught unawares. So now, what do we make of this parable? First of all, the parable is frequently called, in some translations and historically, the parable of the talents. A talent back in the day was actually a unit of weight. It's kind of the idea of like, you know, I made a ton of money. It, it was a weight of money. Um, and the literal word in the Greek was talent. And that's actually where our English word talent comes from, from that Greek word which meant a bag of money. And of course, it came to mean giftedness. It came to mean things that you had that were skilled. So that's where talent comes from, and I like that it sort of expands the meaning from just money to all the gifts and skills and blessings that you have. So obviously in the parable, the master is God. The fundamental Christian point of view is that everything you have, everything you, that you are, comes from God. You've been entrusted by God with talents and with gifts and with money. Some of it certainly is our finances. You can't get away from the fact that this is a topic, that this is a text about money. And you can't get away from the fact that for most of us, money is a really important and oftentimes uncomfortable topic. And it's arguably the thing that most illustrates what's important to us. Many of us have tremendous amounts of disposable income. We think we don't, because what we count as disposable income is what's left over after we've spent money on everything that we want to spend money on. Well, 
that's part of the sermon on money too, how we spend money. So we all have a, a pretty decent amount of disposable income which can be used, which money that's been entrusted to us to use in a way that would glorify God, that would provide ROI for the kingdom of God. We also have other gifts and talents. Caring, you might have the gift of management. You might be an incredible prayer. You might be wonderful at serving. You could be a phenomenal baker. You might have the ability to make stuff. All sorts of things. Those things are given as gifts to us too. Those are talents that we have and we are stewards of those things also. And I think we can't forget that the preeminent gift that we are given is the gift of faith. And we're called to steward that. We have heard the good news that Jesus loves us, that God is redeeming the world. And we're supposed to take that gift which has been given to us and be good stewards of that. We've heard the good news of Jesus. We've experienced it. It's a gift. And having it grow in our hearts and sharing it with others is how we provide a return on investment. So the servants receive differing amounts of talents or gold, five, two, and one. The gifts come in different quantities and sometimes are just plain different for us. And that's kind of life. Some of us have more talents or at least more obvious ones. Some of us were born in wealthy countries some were born in poorer countries. Some of us were given every possible advantage. Others of us were given very few advantages. The question is, what will you do with what you are given? It's always about you living your life, not you living someone else's life. You either got five, two, or one talents. And the question is, what are you gonna do with the amount that you got? Not what you could do if you had somebody else's talents. And we can't forget that the point of the parable is that what you did with this is a question that's going to be asked. What did you do with the talents that you had that made a difference for the kingdom of God? So let's stick with money for just a second because money is a way that we can leave a legacy. So for those of you who have children, what did you teach your kids about money, whether intentionally or accidentally? What are you teaching your kids about money? Or what will you teach your kids about money? It's an important way that we can steward knowledge and finances and teach our kids how to think and behave in a Christian way. Claire Kidd, who is a member of our leadership team, shared a story with me the other day and I wanted her to share that with you. From an early age, my parents helped instill in me an attitude of generosity and a habit of giving back to my local church, reinvesting in the work that God's doing through the local church and other organizations and other individuals. My dad gave me a piggy bank with three different sections, one for the church, one for store, and one for the bank. And he'd give me $10 bills and sing singles and share with me, put one in the church, put two in the bank, and then the rest you can have to spend or save as you want. And as a kid, I was inspired by a lot of the different things that organizations in our church were doing, so I'd put in some extra funds to the church to donate to my church or to my local community. What started as a simple practice of putting a simple dollar in the 
church section of my little piggy bank turned into a lifetime habit of being generous, not viewing just that 10%, but all of my money as a, a way to glorify God and share his love with others uh, by reinvesting in the work that he's doing in the world through the local church and other organizations and individuals. So how can you help your kids become generous? and view themselves as stewards of God's gifts. Wherever you are, how old your kids are, it is never too late. So the point of the parable, while it is about so much more than money, is still about money. Because money is one of the easiest ways to see what our priorities are. So there's a money application there for everyone. There's a lesson about generosity and how we divvy up our money for everyone. But maybe it's when it comes to other gifts and talents that you're a little fuzzy. Maybe your question is, how do I find out what my talents are? I might not know. Or for a number of people that I've talked to recently, what you want to know is, what gifts and talents do you have at this stage of life? And for some people who are older, they recognize that they just can't do what they've always done. And they want to be useful, they want to serve, but they have to figure out how to do it now. So how do you figure out those things? How do you figure out what your talents are? How do you figure out what your talent is at this stage in life? Well, I think there's a couple of questions you could ask yourself. What do you enjoy doing? That might be a key to a talent that you have. What gift do you have that you could bring to others? What are the needs that are right in front of you that sometimes you think, I, I could do that. I could help with that. I could mow somebody's lawn. I could give somebody a ride to the doctor's office. I could bring a meal. I can bake Michael cookies and drop it off at the office as a ministry of encouragement. Um, what stories that you hear stir your soul? And what could you possibly do about those things? Could you mentor a younger person at one of the elementary schools and teach them to read? Could you mentor a younger person in our church and teach them what it's like to be a Jesus follower? And honestly, mentoring sounds harder than it really is. It's really about listening and providing some feedback from somebody who has followed Jesus a little bit longer. Some of you could be great at doing that and your presence as a mentor could be a gift. Call us, we can fix you up. You've been given many things, money, talents, gifts, the gospel. What are you doing with those things? This is so important to us. I don't know if you've noticed, but we constantly tell stories about how Harbor Covenant is bringing a return on the investment that God has given us. We constantly highlight how we are making a difference, how you are making a difference through your generosity, through the gifts and talents that you use, how we are making a difference for the kingdom of God because we keep this parable in mind. So let me ask you three questions. Number one, why do you think people are so sensitive about money? Number two, who has been generous to you and how? And number three, how are you providing a return on investment for the kingdom of God?